Hey there, Upstreamers. My name is Lana Wilkins, and this is the Upstreamers podcast. I am obviously the host because I'm the one with the mic, and I just wanted to talk to you today about a couple of things. First is I'm going to continue the series that I started where I'm talking about how I'm reading scripture with the word trust in mind. It's been really rewarding, and so I'm going to go through um, Genesis 2 and 3. Last time I did 1, now I'm doing chapters 2 and 3. And there's so many rich things God is showing me through reading the scriptures with a word in mind. And so after that, I just wanted to talk about how there are many people who have made New Year's resolutions in the last few months. And I know that statistics don't um, favor those who make them because most people fall off the wagon in a couple of weeks, but then there's another huge crash in a couple of months. And since we're at that point, I just wanted to take some time at the end to encourage those of you who may have had lofty goals, maybe even attainable, reasonable, measurable, you know, smart goals, but you still are struggling. So stay tuned for that at the end. And as always, feel free to check out my website, kneejerkmom.com, or go give a copy of my book, Knee Jerk Mom. I actually sell it locally at a place called Meadow to Market here in Montgomery, Texas. And if you're local, then go pick it up. And if not, then head to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy books. And thanks for listening. Streamers podcast. I do my best to challenge moms to respond instead of react. That's hard, ladies, because we are reactionary by nature. Someone says something to us that we don't like. We hear bad news about what our kid has done, or maybe they find out what we have done. Regardless, all of this reactionary response comes in the form of guilt in the form of either shaming or overly repeating yourself or hurrying people around countless other ways. But those are the top three that I tend to focus on yelling, repeating, and hurrying because they are the ones that have really impacted my life. Guilt over not being places on time, guilt over, you know, not being good enough, fun enough, ready enough, exciting enough. Whatever it is, there's fear about what's going to happen in the future. A lot of women deal with worry and they just say, oh, that's just part of being a mom. Moms just worry, but we don't have to because we're completely new creations. God has done something in a Christian woman's heart and in her mind to free her from having to feel guilt over things that Um, God is not holding a standard up for her in. Things like whether you let your baby cry itself to sleep or whether you pick your baby up and hold it all the time. Those are not commands in scripture. Now there are principal verses about being parents. There are umbrella verses that cover basically everything But whether you make your kid eat mushrooms or not is your call, okay? There's lots of things that scripture doesn't dictate, but there are principles to follow, like 
When I tell my child to eat said vegetable on their plate, then I can expect that they will do it out of obedience with a good attitude or they'll be disciplined. Now that's a decision that I make as a parent. My husband and I make those decisions. You know, where do those lines fall? As a parent, we get to decide so many things. Very few of those kind of specific situations are laid out in the scriptures. But thank goodness. I mean, don't you think God knows that? He knew that the the, the times would um, move forward, that technology would increase, that there would be a countless number of inventions that he didn't have to mention in scripture. You know, he didn't have to talk about whether we should do pot or not. You know, he didn't have to mention if marijuana was okay or not, because there are umbrella verses about what a man puts into him in his body and whether it defiles you or not, you know, whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or whether you're filling yourself with something that's not um, in alignment with who God is. Many other scriptures, I wasn't quite prepared to talk about that, but point being, There's lots of umbrella verses over these parts of our lives. Now, with that said, I'm going through the scriptures and I'm reading um, chronologically this year, which is interesting. I've never done that before. So I'm still in Genesis. Okay. And today I'm just going to go back through some of my notes because I did that last time and I thought, you know what, let's just do a short series. No, I'm not going to take you all the way through the whole Bible doing these devotional series, but I thought I would do a few of them in a row just so you can get a taste of kind of what God is doing in this um, time that I'm having with him. It's really a sweet, fruitful time, and I'm really loving it. Okay, so as I said last time, I'm going through the scriptures with the word trust in mind, not because it's some magical formula that's going to create something. I'm not into the new agey law of attraction kind of junk. But I am using the word trust as I read the word to kind of help me frame what I'm looking for, what I'm trying to learn. Now, God can teach me other things, totally different things outside of the concept of trust. Of course, he can. He can do what he wants. And I want to be submitted to whatever he wants to teach me. However, I know I want to learn about trust right now. I want to learn how to trust my children more as they grow up and become teenagers. I've got two teens now. I want to trust my husband more as we grow in oneness. I want to trust the Lord more for our future and for even the present. So trust is on my mind as I'm reading scripture. Okay, now I went over Genesis 1 last time, and I hope that blessed you. I hope that it gave you like ideas for how you can also take a word that you're learning or would like to learn about and read scripture and find amazing things in there. That The word trust isn't in Genesis 1. But I sure learned a lot about trust. Because God can do that. He can take his word. It's living and active. And it can teach me things. Even if that particular word is not in that chapter. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about Genesis 2 and 3. Genesis 3 was like a biggie for me. So Genesis 2 is going to go pretty fast. Genesis 3 I'm like wow, do I need to do a two-part series? I'm not really sure. So Genesis 2, I was really struck that our life comes from his breath of life. I put that in quotes, breath of life. 
God breathed life into humanity. The body came from the dust. He formed it into a man. But our ability to live, the very breath of God, is what brought about life in us. And I thought that was cool. And it reminded me of that verse that talks about all scripture is inspired by God. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And as my friend Shelley is always saying, she says the next verse, so that the man of God may be, I think it's equipped. No, no. There's something in the middle there. I haven't memorized that one, but every time I do um, 2 Timothy 3.16, I think of 2 Timothy 3.17 because she said it so many times that we're equipped for every good work. I know that's at the end, but thank you, Shelley, for encouraging me to read um, or to, to memorize beyond what I know. So, um, but getting back to that word um, inspired, all scripture is inspired. Now, that word inspired, I've always been told it means God breathed, that the scriptures are God breathed. So then I was really struck with, wow, we were God breathed. Like our very being, Adam was created, but then brought alive with the breath of God. And the word of God is the breath of God. And then I just, it hit me all of a sudden, like, bam, the word of God, it breathes life into us. You know, we want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with God's wisdom, with the life and very presence of God. Well, we get the Holy Spirit when at the point of salvation and it's there forever. And he's, you know, active and, and present and completely filling us. But we continually fill ourselves with God's word And it's the very breath of God. Adam received the breath of God and it brought life, actual life to his body. And I think this is my devotional application, but God's word does that for us. I read his word and it's like God breathing into me life. The next thing I was really struck by was that God provided all the trees that man needed to survive but he also made them pleasant to the sight. And he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have just made the trees useful. He didn't even have to make them taste good. But these trees were, quote, pleasant to the sight. There's something really special about a God who, one, gives us our senses, sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, but then he uses them Did you notice I only gave you five, right? Because we do not have a sixth sense. No matter what anyone says, God has given us five senses. If we have a sixth sense, it's called discernment from the Holy Spirit. That's it. Okay. Anything else is going to be like divination or some kind of sorcery, witchcraft. Um, So I don't know why I even felt like saying that, but God gave us our five senses and he delights in those things. He gives us things that are tasty, things that are beautiful, things that sound nice. I mean, like a songbird, a piece of peach pie or peach cobbler. That's my favorite. A a rainbow, a fig, a soft lamb's wool. 
the sheepskin, the smell of dryer sheets or chocolate chip cookies or sauteing onions. What did I do? Let's see. I did sight, taste, smell, touch, and hearing. Yeah, I got them all. Okay. So God gives us our senses and then he puts things in our world so that we can use them and enjoy them. And I can trust him to do that. That he's not just making my life difficult on purpose just to stick it to me. You know, there are times whenever I'm struggling or sinning and having a really hard day with my attitude. You know, I'm just like gripey. And sometimes I think, gosh, you know, God put me in this situation and he's pruning me and it's this horrible thing. And I don't know why he likes to like put me in hard situations just so I can learn to be holy. He doesn't care about my happiness. Have you heard that before? God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. Well, I don't know. I mean, chapter and verse, show me where it says God couldn't care less about your happiness. I'm not saying that's his primary goal, but why would he make the trees pleasant to the sight if for no other reason than it's delightful and it brings joy and happiness to someone to see something pretty. So I would challenge that thought. I mean, I'm not saying that he wants our happiness more than our holiness, but you know, sometimes holiness and happiness can go together. Holiness isn't always this drudgery. Sometimes, and especially the longer we've been a Christian, right? I mean, the longer that I know the Lord, the more and the more time I spend with him, the more I want to do the right things. So doing the right things oftentimes makes me the most contented, the most happy. Now there's times, don't get me wrong, whenever I do not enjoy obedience and then God has to deal with me on my attitude. But there are lots of times when happiness and holiness do go together, I think. So I'm not so sure about that whole concept. The fact that he made the trees pleasant to the sight is really, it's a beautiful offering that he's given us. There are beautiful things in this world and we're allowed to enjoy them. Another point that struck me was that God was honest. You shall surely die. That's pretty clear. I can trust God to be clear with me when I need his clarity. I used to think that God was kind of sneaking around, only telling me partial truths, partially like these mysterious sayings, just to kind of trip me up and and make me feel like, oh, you better watch your step, you know, he's a trickster in the corner, like laughing whenever I mess up or um, just trying to see if I'm smart enough to figure it out. But that's not the God that we serve. He is clear. You know, if something's wrong, he tells us if we do the right thing, he is very clear that that leads to wisdom that leads to, to life. But then whenever we're doing bad things, then we are told very clearly, you will surely die or that's going to have consequences. So thank goodness for that. We can trust his honesty. We can also trust God to see our needs. 
He saw all the needs that Adam had before Adam knew about them. He knew about his needs and he provided for them. He knew that Adam needed to rest. He knew that Adam needed to eat. He knew he created him. Of course, he knows all his needs and those needs are not bad. You know, those are just normal needs that humanity has. God trusted Adam to make the choice. He allowed him the freedom to obey or disobey. He also trusted Adam to name the animals and take care of the garden. Those were his jobs. Moving on to Genesis 3. And this is the first time I've ever thought about this. Maybe this thought has occurred to you, but I just have never thought about it before I read Genesis 3 this time. I have been, I've heard so many times, okay, people being really down on Eve, saying like, oh no, she did not listen to God's commands. She was more strict on herself than God was. She listened, but she added to God's word, shame, shame, tisk tisk. I mean, it's almost like that was worse than taking the fruit and like literally disobeying God. But I just keep wondering, you know, Adam was the one in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Adam was the one who was commanded to not eat of the tree. Eve wasn't even created yet. So either, I mean, obviously she heard about this command because either Adam told her or God repeated himself to her. We don't know which one, but either way, she knew about the command because she summarized it and she didn't do it word for word, which hello, that's a case for scripture memory, don't you think? Better to know his word, word for word, because then it gets you into less trouble. But God actually said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now Eve said, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So yes, she added on that statement about touching it. And I hear people get on to her big time. Oh, she added to God's words. We should never add to God's words. Revelation 22 says, you're destined for hell if you do that. But it really makes me wonder if the serpent talked to them, you know, as they walked, were they already next to it? Were they next to the forbidden tree? Did they walk over to the forbidden tree as they talked or were they already there? And the reason I wonder that is because when I tell my kids to not do something, like if there's a, a piece of candy on the counter and I say, don't touch it, do you think it's best for them to walk over to it, put their finger and hover it right over or like, put their nose over it and smell it or sit there and stare at it all day. No, no. Her idea to not touch it was a good idea, I think. Do we really want to get as close to sin as possible without technically sinning? You know, she had to be close to say, see that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. And she had to be next to it to take of its fruit and eat. So they were close by. But man, that idea of not touching, 
that's actually not this horrible thing. I think it was pretty smart, even though she put God's words in, she put words in God's mouth, which I totally don't recommend doing. The idea of don't touch it is probably a good one. And had she followed that advice and actually not touched it, you know, she could have kept herself out of a lot of trouble. Now he, Adam was with her because she gave to her husband with her and he ate. So it's not like he was off somewhere in the garden when she was being tempted. She quote, gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. The other really interesting thing to me was that God looked for them. He called out to them and we can trust God to pursue us like one of his lost sheep. He asked questions, you know, he didn't accuse. But Adam and Eve, they became the accusers, you know, just like Satan. He is the accuser. And Adam and Eve became like Satan. They became children of darkness. God's response was to offer the consequences to everybody involved. You know, every sinner got a different consequence. Adam's curse was because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten out of the tree, which I eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. And then because this is to the serpent, because you have done this. And then to Eve, she wasn't given a reason. Maybe it was just obvious, but he gave her a curse as well. And every sinner got a different curse based on what they did. And I think, you know, that's, that's good. You know, God can trust, I can trust God with what my consequences are. I can trust God with pruning me. I can trust God to know what's in my best interest and what's going to draw me into a deeper relationship with him. And in the midst of all that sin, God made them close. He made them leave the garden so they wouldn't eat the fruit from the tree of life. We can trust God to see the future and do what's necessary to protect us, even if it means changes that we don't like. He is so good at looking out for our ultimate good. Quote, he drove out the man. Doesn't that sound like he had to force him? I mean, if you were in a perfect garden and you were just cursed and you're being pointed outside of paradise, I wouldn't be excited about going there. And you know that that land out there is going to be really hard to farm, really hard to get, you know, all of the crops that you're going to need to get because that was his curse. His curse is that he's going to have to toil and sweat and have a hard time. But in the garden, I mean, I don't know what he had to do to till that land or you know, grow things from seed. Maybe things just sprung up out of the ground and all he had to do was pick it. And, you know, there was a constant dew I hear in the air. Like, did he even have to water the garden? What did he have to do to take care of that garden? I don't know, but definitely nothing like the hardship that he was getting ready to experience. They obviously didn't want to leave. God put up guards because he knew that they probably couldn't handle the temptation. You know, if they couldn't handle the temptation to just get near the tree of life, if they couldn't handle touching it, being near it, seeing how delightful it looked and eating it, how could they handle like not just dipping their toenail back into the garden and taking just a peek or maybe sneaking in and grabbing a piece of fruit and then running back out? No, 
you don't have to deal with that temptation because he put up guards with flaming swords. So that season of life is, is gone. God only allows difficulty in our life that he knows will disciple us for our ultimate good and for his glory. Well, that's chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis, and I literally just ran you through some of my notes. So some of it may sound disjointed to you, but I just wanted to give you a taste of how I'm walking through Scripture. And again, the word trust was not in there, but I gleaned so much fun stuff from the Lord showing me about the kinds of things that I can trust Him with. start over just like it does in the garden there was evening and there was morning the second day and there was evening and there was morning the third day and so on and so on and each day is a gift if you make New Year's resolutions and you've already fallen off the horse just take the next day and start over New Year's is an arbitrary time to make goals and predictions about what this next year might hold in store. And while all of that is fun and it's, it's actually not bad or unhealthy to, to look ahead and try to be intentional about the new year, but it sure is unhelpful to our growth in Christ if we try to attain these like really lofty, made-up, man-made goals or strive to meet some kind of like arbitrary man-made list of activities or things or metrics that God has never placed on us. So do it for fun. Do it to build a good new habit. Do it because you enjoy it, but do not do it because you think God is holding you to that. Every day is a new day and his mercies are new every morning. So if you fall down and you are scraping your knees again, tomorrow's a new day. You can get up. God can lift your head. You can rest in the shadow of his wings. You don't have to do tomorrow alone. So I will leave you with that. And I hope you do have a wonderful week. If you're having a tough week, just know that God is no less present in your life just because you're having a hard time. And he's no more present in your life during tough times. It is us. How do we respond when we're having trials? How do we respond? Do we run to Christ and pray? Do we have a pity party? I kind of tend to have a pity party. So I just pray that I would remember to lift up my marriage, to lift up my husband, to lift up my kids, and really go to Christ whenever I'm struggling. And I pray the same for you. And as you know, that's what makes you an upstreamer, looking to Christ not to the ways of the world, not to what's most popular these days, not to the latest fad, but to Christ. Keep swimming upstream. Have a good one.